Good morning. It's great to have you with us at Kirkpatrick Memorial. My name is Christoph Ebbinghaus. I'm the minister at the church there. It, it really is great to have you with us because it's easy to be tempted to give up on these online services. The writer to the Hebrews, he encouraged the audience he was writing to not to give up meeting together. I don't know uh, what he would have made of YouTube services that we watch in our living rooms. But I'm sure you can see that it's important to keep coming to meet with God, to keep paying attention to his word, to keep singing his praises, to keep receiving from him. It's great to have you with us here this morning. Uh, please make sure that you're watching this service as a playlist and not as a series of individual videos. I, I wonder how you're doing this morning. How are you feeling after more than five months in the COVID-19 world? People tell me that they're feeling up and down. Some days they feel good and other days they feel down, joyless, wondering where the strength is going to come from. I wonder how they're going to keep going for one more day. In the book of Nehemiah, we read of a time when God's people were more down than up. They'd been in exile. They'd returned to a ruined city. They were being oppressed by their neighbors. Things weren't good. Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, spoke to the people of God, and, and they said to them, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. The people had been mourning and weeping. They'd heard God's law read and they'd realised just how far they'd fallen short. Nehemiah didn't stop though. He kept going. He said to the people, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does it mean? Well, thank goodness Nehemiah is not talking here about our human joy. There's nothing worse than somebody coming along to you when you're feeling down and saying, Cheer up, put a smile on your face. We don't have to whip up this type of joy within ourselves by our own power. This joy comes from somewhere else, from someone else, the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. We're talking here about the joy that God has, the joy that God possesses. Can you even begin to imagine how much joy God has? The Bible tells us repeatedly about God's joy. And one of the things that I find amazing is how much of God's joy centers on us. In Hebrews 12, the writer tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. That is for a relationship with you and with me. The prophet Zephaniah 
he tells us that God rejoices over us with singing. When he thinks of you, God sings. Have you ever thought about that? Being in a relationship with you makes God happy. Doesn't that make you happy too? This week, as we follow Jesus, we have access to God's boundless joy. A joy that doesn't come from our circumstances or within ourselves. A joy that doesn't depend on how spiritual or strong we are. A joy that comes from God. It's the joy of the Lord. And it's our strength. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning desperate for your presence. We're like a deer panting for water in a desert in a time of drought. We want you. We need you. Lord, we're feeling weak. We don't know if we have the strength that we need for the rest of today or for tomorrow or the week and the months ahead. Lord, there are times when we have done much to contribute to our own listlessness. We've done things that diminish us. We've said words that belittle others. We've cut ourselves off from you, the giver of life. No wonder we're experiencing death. Lord, we want to say today that we're wrong to run from you. We're stupid to look for life outside of you. Forgive us. Wash us. Make us clean. Make us strong for today and the weeks ahead. And Lord, knowing that you will do all of this because of Jesus, we pray that you'd restore to us the joy of our salvation. Remind us how great it is to be with you and to be yours. To have you look on us and see us as perfect. To have you look on us in love, saying, my daughter, my son. Lord, Restore our joy and let that joy be our strength. Amen. Folks, it's great to be leading you today because it means I get to slip in a wee slot, which I hope might be an encouragement to you. I want to talk for a couple of moments about praying the Psalms. Uh, we're preaching the Songs of Ascent this summer. But I've also been reading the Psalms one per day each day since the start of the year. Uh, it was Claire who got me onto this. Uh, she'd been inspired to do this from reading about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And as I looked into this, I soon discovered that Bonhoeffer was only one in a huge community of Psalm praying followers of Jesus, including Benedict, Luther, Calvin, Lewis and Pearson name but a few. Praying the Psalms in 2020 has been hands down the best thing that I've done to help me find joy and strength in the Lord. 
I read one psalm each day, usually in the morning. I've bought myself a, a psalms journaling Bible uh, just for a few pounds and started to make notes on the psalms that I'm reading. I'll just hold it up to, to show you what that looks like. A psalm on one page and a blank page on the other. I'm making notes on these psalms as I read them, as I pray them, as I reflect on what God's saying to me in them. It's not always easy, but I'm already sensing that this practice might just be hugely important. I can sense how the practice and the prayer is changing me. In Psalm 62, David prays, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I love that. That's what praying the Psalms is doing for me. It's taking me to someone bigger than me. Someone bigger than this situation. Reading and praying these Psalms is taking me to my rock, my refuge, my shield and my shelter. The Lord who's bigger than me. This morning I'm wondering whether you might be ready to join me. To read a psalm per day and to try to pray it? If so, if you want to read along with me, today's psalm is Psalm 54. I started reading at the start of January and then I restarted on the 1st of July back at number one then. So that brings me to Psalm 54 today. Just by way of encouragement and maybe to inspire you a little, I thought I'd share a short video about two people whose lives have been deeply affected by the Psalms. One's David Taylor, a fellow student of mine from Regent College. In this short conversation, he's talking to someone who's been reading and praying the Psalms for decades. Although the conversation starts with a, a little bit about the Songs of Ascent, which we're studying, uh, that's not really important uh, for the purposes of showing this video. I just want you to notice how important the Psalms have become in this person's life and how he expects to be changed by them. Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots round your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. It's a question that's so fundamental to human life, uh, to which the answer may seem so obvious that you'll wonder why I am asking it at all, but ask it I must. Do you want to be happy? It seems that many people do. As I was researching and writing this sermon, I just quickly googled the question, how to be happy? Google's response was impressive. It offered 5,920,000,000 results 
in 0.48 seconds. It seems that a lot of people want to know how to be happy. And it seems that there are a lot of people out there ready to offer us advice. The New York Times tells me that happiness isn't something that just happens to you. Take these small steps to create a happier life. Healthline.com says happiness can feel impossible, but it's always within reach. We'll break down 25 science-based habits to help you get your mood back on track. Uh, at a time when the NHS is rightly interested in supporting people with their mental health, their offer online says, Feeling down? See our top six tips for boosting your mood and feeling happier. I, I suppose I've approached this, uh, Sam, assuming that everybody wants to be happy. Uh, and the research has reinforced that working assumption. As my spiritual theology professor, Dr. James Houston, puts it so memorably in the introduction to one of his books, he says, happiness is no laughing matter. It's the serious business of humankind. So we've established that we want to be happy. Our next question, surely then, is how? Where can we find happiness? How can I be happy? In 1878, Bishop J.C. Ryle of Liverpool preached a sermon which he began with this story. An atheist was once addressing a crowd of people in the open air, and he was trying to persuade them that there was no God and no devil, no heaven and no hell, no resurrection, no judgment and no life to come. He advised them to throw away their Bibles and not to mind what preachers say. Uh, actually, it sounds a bit like the forerunner of the London bus campaign in 2009. Do you remember the slogan? There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. That's been the melody line of our culture for centuries now. To get happy, start by getting rid of God. Anyway, back to Raya's story. In the middle of this atheist speech, a poor old woman suddenly pushed her way through the crowd to the place where he was standing. And she stood before him, she looked him fully in the eye and said in a loud voice, Are you happy? The speaker tried to ignore her. Sir, she asked again, are you going to answer my question? Are you happy? You want us to throw away our Bibles. You tell us not to believe the preachers when they speak about the gospel. You advise us to think as you do and to be like you. But before we take your advice, we have a right to know what we'll get out of it. Do your fine new ideas give you much comfort? Do you yourself feel really happy? The atheist stopped and he tried to answer her question. In the end, the best that he could do was to say that he hadn't come to preach about happiness. The crowd watched as he struggled and joined the old lady in pushing him for an answer. In the end, he abandoned his speech because he couldn't answer their question. He couldn't, in good conscience, say that he was happy. According to Bishop Ryle, the old woman was very wise in her tactics. The bishop would argue that a grand test of any person's faith 
and religion is this. Does it make them happy? We're talking about happiness and we're asking where it can be found. Many people in our culture today, uh, along with the likes of Richard Dawkins and the New Atheists, tell us that it's to be found by moving on from God and enjoying our lives. Our psalmist says something different. Let's see what we can learn from him this morning about happiness and where it's to be found. Notice first of all that this psalm is all about happiness. You might not have gathered that in the reading. The opening word is blessed and that simply means happy. In verse 2 it tells us that blessing and prosperity will be yours. Verse 4 we're told thus is the man blessed. Verse 5, the psalmist speaks a benediction. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. Can't get away from it. This psalm's all about being blessed, about being happy. Those who love God are promised happiness. Happiness is pronounced on them and they experience happiness. It seems to be that God wants his people to be happy. Now, wait a minute, you might say. Christians have no more right to happiness than people who aren't Christians. Uh, people then go on to make a distinction. God gives us joy, but there's no promise of happiness or blessing. Really? Is that what you believe? I suppose you're entitled to that belief, but only if you're willing to ignore the teaching of God's word. The Bible makes it clear from start to finish that God's in the business of blessing people. What's the first thing God does when he's created human beings? Genesis 1.28 God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. What does God say when he calls Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans to be the father of the Jewish nation? nation. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What about Jesus? What does he say in those opening verses in his Sermon on the Mount? He talks about the poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek and lots of other people too. And he says that they all have one thing in common. They're blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Although Jesus would talk about discipleship, the cost of it. He would talk about sacrifice, about taking up our cross and following him. He wants us to know that following him is to enter into the blessed, the happy life. Folks, I don't know if you believe this. Being a Christian isn't a reduction from a, a normally happy life to something less. It's not a subtraction from what we used to be. It's expanding our horizons. It's entering into life with God as he always intended it to be. It's to finally live the life that we were created for. 
In Jesus' words, it's life to the full. Now, we need to be careful here. We need to pay attention to what the Bible teaches about those men and women who are blessed. It turns out that living under God's blessing doesn't mean we don't have a bad day. It doesn't mean we'll always get the last space in the car park. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from unemployment or from cancer or those other trials of life. The kind of happiness and blessing that comes from knowing God is the contentment of living life as it should be lived. Just now we're going to pause and sing a song, one that's inspired by Psalm 48. The sons of Korah there, they sing, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. It's a great song for us to sing today, just just like those Jewish pilgrims who were excited to go to Jerusalem, the city of God. So we're excited to be going to God, to the city that he's prepared for us. For us, every bit as much as for them, God's presence is the joy of the whole earth. You'll probably recognize this song once uh, the video kicks in. I should say the second half of this video is pretty much a repeat of the first half with a, a mid-song key change thrown in. If you're loving the song, feel free to watch the whole thing. If not, feel free to drop out after about 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Great is the Lord. We've been thinking this morning about happiness uh, in Psalm 128. Maybe the best way to unpack this for a moment is to come back to our psalm and let it answer two big questions. What does happiness look like and who's it for? So what does God's blessing or God's happiness look like? The psalmist tells us in verses 2 to 3, You'll eat the fruit of your labour. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Verse 3 seems to be talking about some of the fundamentals of a contented life. The satisfaction that comes from being allowed to do good work that puts food on the table. Many of us have experienced just this kind of deep happiness and contentment at least momentarily in our lives. Verse 4 associates blessing with a growing family. That's very much how happiness was conceived in the Hebrew culture in which the psalmist was writing. In that culture, you wanted sons, lots of them. The more, the merrier. And if you think about that for a moment, it's obvious why that would be the case. Your sons were your personal labor force. They were your security system. In old age, they looked after you. The more sons you had, the bigger your pension. In that culture, lots of sons made for a happy life. By the way, this illustration of a growing family is just one expression of what it means to be blessed by God. It's not necessarily the only form that blessing takes or a precise template for how we 
should be looking for blessing nowadays. Verse 4 here, I think, is a little bit like the second part of Psalm 127, which we looked at last week. We said last week that for the new covenant people of God, blessing isn't limited to our biological families. God wants to bless us all with rich relationships in his family, the community that gathers around Jesus. Whether you're married or single, he wants to give you lots and lots of fathers and mothers, of brothers and sisters, of sons and daughters, all in Christ. That's the vision of the blessed life that God offers to us. John Calvin uh, when he was preaching to his congregation in Geneva, he encouraged them to develop better and deeper conceptions of happiness than those held by the world around them. I think that's what Psalm 128 is calling us to do. Too much of the world's ideas of happiness have to do with succeeding, becoming wealthier, surrounding ourselves with symbols of status and being number one. Those who do succeed on these terms, they end up living lives of splendid isolation. Their houses get bigger, their hedges get higher, and their driveways get longer. The more they succeed, the further they move away from people. That may be the world's conception of happiness, but it's certainly not the life of blessing that God promises. He calls us from our individualism. He woos us out of our isolation. He welcomes us, rich or not, married or not, into the happiness found only in the hustle and bustle and mayhem of family life. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. That brings us to our second question. Who is this blessing the psalmist tells us in verses 1 to 4, Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean being afraid of God. It means responding appropriately to God. It means to recognize him for all that he is, holy and majestic, powerful and perfect, it means not trying to whittle God down into something that we can be more comfortable with. Fearing God means taking him seriously and building our lives around him. In verse 1, the psalmist elaborates on the fear of the Lord and he says that those who fear the Lord walk in his ways. Walking is an extremely common biblical metaphor for the life of discipleship. When the psalmist talks about walking in the ways of the Lord, he's implying, I think, that there are other ways that we could walk. There are two paths, and everybody walks in one or the other. There's the straight path that leads to life, and the crooked path that leads to death. Only those on the straight path to life are going to be blessed, are going to be happy. Friends, it's not enough to recognize God for who he really is, to fear the Lord. We, we also need to start doing the things that he made us for. 
There's a shape to Christian life. There are commands to obey. There are habits to develop. This is what it means to walk in the Lord, the ways of the Lord. This is what it means to to live in blessing. None of us are going to do this perfectly. But that's not the point. There is a right way. Live in it. There's a right path to follow. Take it. If God exists and he shows us the way to life, it's only common sense to take it. One writer, talking about those who refuse to submit themselves to the life of God, he says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to be blessed. But too many people aren't willing to pay attention to the God who gives the blessing. They fully imagine that the Christian way is a second best, that they know better where happiness lies. They're wrong. God's way and God's presence are where we experience happiness that lasts. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Let us pray. Father God, I want to be happy. I want to learn more and more to fear you, to walk in your ways. I want your presence to become such a natural part of my life that all my acts are motions of obedience, that all my words are accented with praise. So that I might experience the blessings and prosperity that you have for me in Jesus. I want to be happy. And I know that I'll only ever be happy in you. Amen. In just a moment we're going to sing together All I Once Held Dear. It's a simple song. It gives us the opportunity to declare that we're looking to the Lord for our joy. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy. My righteousness. Before we do that, Steve and Sharon Carianis are going to lead us in our prayers for others. It's now time for our prayers of intercession. And... Today we're going to be praying for our children and young people, as well as our church and secular communities. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the blessing of our children and young people at Kirkpatrick. Thank you for what they teach us about loving you wholeheartedly. We want to bring those starting a new school before you now. We pray in particular for those starting nursery school primary one, moving primary schools or starting a new secondary school. Lord, we ask that you would go before them and would fill them with strength and courage as they settle into new surroundings and new routines. Help them to make good friends and to know your presence with them daily. We also want to bring before you all those who have received exam results. 
The past months and weeks have been such a challenging time for these guys with so many uncertainties. However, Lord, we pray that they would know the certain truth of your love for them and that you have a plan for them. Lord, we pray in particular for those who may feel disappointed with their results. We ask for your comfort and reassurance to them that they are not defined by letters on a page. For those moving on to university or making decisions about the future, we pray that you would grant them wisdom in the midst of difficult choices. Finally, Lord, we want to pray for all our children and young people as they return to school. Things will feel very different and uncertain. And we pray that they would quickly settle into this new normal of school life. We want to pray in particular for those who feel anxious about returning to school. Strengthen them and may they know your presence each day. Lord, in the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances, may our children and young people continue to shine like stars in their classrooms and with their friends and teachers. Lord God, I commit our church leadership to you. May Christoph and our church elders know your guidance, decisions about how and when to reopen church and resume services um, face-to-face. I pray for the restrictions in place for how we interpret those and how we can safely facilitate community again. I pray that you would strengthen and encourage our church leaders. I pray also for our youth leadership in church, for guidance and help with new formats, for how to navigate remote and um, distant uh, youth programs. I pray that you would open doors and open hearts as uh, you help the youth leadership in our church. And finally, Lord, I commit our government to you. The concern over increasing numbers of cases of coronavirus, I commit um, the people who are in charge and who lead, I commit them to you for guidance and discernment in navigating these health and economic and schooling crises. um, The decisions that they make, I pray that you would uh, give them discernment and guidance in, in how they make those decisions. So commit our future to your hands, Lord. May we know your peace in your name. Amen. Let me take one moment to update you very quickly on a few church family issues. Uh, you've probably gathered by now that we're planning to resume Sunday morning gatherings on Sunday the 6th of September. Uh, you should have received an email or a letter about that in the last 10 days explaining all of that. If you haven't got that, get in touch and we'll send you the information. The numbers of these first gatherings are going to be severely restricted. And so we're limiting attendance to those who can't get to these online services. If you know somebody who is in that position, uh, can't get online, please encourage them to come on Sunday the 6th of September and even help them uh, to sign up. Thank you for that. Other organisations are beginning to think about how they're going to approach the autumn term 
If you need help with thinking through and making your plans, please be in touch with Claire and she'll be only too happy to help you with that. We were sorry to learn this week of the death of Barbara Gibson of Bethany Street. Her funeral took place yesterday. Uh, please keep Barbara's daughter Deborah and her family in your prayers. Just now we're going to sing a closing song. One that anticipates the, the place of full and final blessing. Uh, the place where our joy will know no limits. Endless Alleluia. We've been thinking today about happiness, what it is, where it's to be found. I'm your pastor, so I long to see you happy. I want to see you blessed as a member of the whole family of God. So I'm going to finish today by speaking a benediction, a prayer for happiness that concludes this psalm that we were looking at today. Let me speak it over you. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel.